Well, as a bit of review, of course, this is our class called Who Am I? Thinking about our identity, uh, who God made us to be, and how our true identity changes everything. And uh, just a little bit of review. The first uh, five weeks, we talked about who we are just as humans, as creatures that God made us, and what that means for our identity made in His image, so on and so forth. Uh, we talked about those things. And then this, uh, since about the sixth week or so, we've been talking about who we are in Christ. If we trust in Christ as Savior, all the different things that means. And so here's the long list. Uh, I keep having to make the font smaller to get them all on one slide. So I don't expect you to read all those. They're on your notes as well. If you're able to pick up a handout, they're all there. Uh, but last week, uh, we talked about being citizens of His kingdom. Uh, and so presently, we live as ambassadors or strangers in a foreign land looking forward to our home uh, in the future. So that's kind of what we discussed last week. Uh, This week, we talk about uh, being light bearers. Uh, Scripture talks about this a few ways. Uh, Sometimes it just says you are lights, so shine like a light. Uh, Other times it says you are light, like we just are light itself. And other times it says we're sons of light or children of light. And so It's a variety of phrases that the Bible uses, but uh, the idea is, ultimately, that uh, we have God's glory in us or reflecting in our lives, and we'll talk more about that. But uh, So the way I've put it tonight is we're light bearers. And so your notes are on the first and second page, and I included a poem uh, uh, that I wrote a few years ago just about light in the darkness. This is a favorite theme of mine in scripture, and so uh, that's just for your uh, perusal whenever you want to. Um, So I am not a great poet, but uh, maybe it'd be an encouragement to you. So anyway, serves as kind of a nice summary of our lesson tonight. So uh, thinking about being a light bearer, we're going to sort of follow the progression. How do we become light bearers? Uh, what does God do when he makes us light bearers? And then flowing all the way through, what's then our task as light bearers? What do we do? What's he call us to do in scripture? So a number of, of topics that we'll, we'll think about together tonight. So uh, first, let's go to the Gospel of John. And we're familiar with the theme of light in the Gospel of John. And so we can start in John chapter 8, verse 12. Of course, we could go all the way back to John 1 if we wanted to, where John talks about the fact that uh, in him was life and that life was the light of men. And he goes on and identifies Christ as the light. John the Baptist was not that light, but bore witness to that light. There's all that terminology in chapter 1. So we know Jesus is the light of the world. But here in chapter 8, we learn something new. Jesus spoke, verse 12, I don't know if I said that, sorry. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So there's now this sense that Christ's light can be imparted to those that follow him. So let's go a few pages over to John 12, verse 36. John 12, 36. Here it says this, 
While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So Jesus, of course, talking about himself as the light of the world. And when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we, one of the terms is we become sons of light or children of light. Uh, he imparts his light to us. And so that's your point number one here. I become a light bearer when I believe in Jesus, the light of the world. I become a light bearer when I believe in Jesus, the light of the world. So this is another one of the things that happens to us at salvation. We become sons and daughters of light. We are with him in the light and we can walk in the light. Now, that's a fun metaphor, but what does it mean? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, break that down here. There's one other thing that happens. God plays a role in this, too. I'm going to start uh, assigning these next two passages out here. So somebody that would be willing to go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Kevin, thank you. Somebody to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Dell, thank you. So go to those two passages. Here, here we're kind of looking at God's role in this transition from darkness to light. So, Kevin, when you're ready, Colossians 1, 12, and 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Good. So, we looked at, actually, we looked at that verse last week in talking about being made citizens of God's kingdom. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, but it's attached to this sense of light. Our inheritance is with the saints in the light, and we've been uh, released from or pulled out of the power of darkness, the realm of darkness, right? So God does this transition for us out of darkness and into his light. First Peter 2 9, Dell. And you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So again, it's kind of God's work here, calling us out of darkness into the light. I'm delivered by God from the power of darkness to join the saints in the light. We're delivered from the power of darkness to join the saints in the light. Delivered, called, both of those words the same. It's God's power that removes us from the darkness and places us into the light. Okay. Now, we're going to think through what all this actually means. What is all this talk of light and so forth? So let's go over to, all together, let's go to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. All right, a few verses that we'll look at together here. Um, let me just start. Well, I'll, give, I'll go ahead and give you point number three here because we're kind of spend our time on the sub points in this section. I have the light of God's glory in my heart. 
So that's what we're talking about when we talk about light. I think it's actually God's glory. And uh, that's what's in us when we trust in Christ as Savior. And I think that'll become clear to you as we consider uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here. And uh, we'll take it sort of verse by verse as we uh, uh, look at these sub-points here, letters A through D. So... Um, let's start in, I'll I'll just read, I'll start reading starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Okay, so I'm going to pause here for a second. The Apostle Paul is sort of defending his ministry. And at the end of chapter 3, he's talked about this new ministry of the Spirit as opposed to the ministry of Moses, the ministry of the law. Okay, so there's the context. Now, starting in verse 4, just keep your eyes open for this idea of glory. Glory and light kind of combined in that idea in our lives. Okay, so here we go. Verse 4. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So in verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about those who do not believe the gospel. They've, they've been blinded by their sin, and he credits it to actually Satan, the god of this age, who's blinded their eyes so they will not believe. But what are they rejecting? They're rejecting the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that's a long phrase. Let's see if we can break it down. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, Christ, who is the image of God. So, his point is that Jesus is God, and he displays what God is like. Okay, the image of God right there. So, then we think of the glory of Christ. And we've talked about glory before. What is, what is glory? Well, it's a little bit hard to define, maybe. I, I've often called it like the, the radiant perfection of God, that He just shines with beauty and perfection, okay? It's His glory, it's His, his worth, His perfectness, you know, He's just amazing. So, uh, the glory of Christ is the very image of God. But then we have this other phrase, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ What is the good news, the gospel, about the glory of Christ, the image of God? What is the gospel? Let's just start there. That's a fairly simple one. Our sin debt has been paid. paid. We can have a relationship with God. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be right with Him. Yeah. So there's the good news about the glory of Christ. And even connected to light, you know, the the Gospel of John, it really interestingly made that high point of his shining, so to speak, 
when he was lifted up on the cross, paying for our sins, right? In, in John 12, for instance, it says, when, I, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And that's one of the passages we looked at just a bit ago about he being the light of the world. So there's this sense of the gospel, Christ's death and resurrection for our sins and in our place, being this like shining moment where we see the glory of God in full display, what God is like in Christ in the gospel. It's kind of cool. And that's light, the light of that gospel. And so, I don't know if, I, if you're still with me or not, but this is just really fun stuff to think about. It's that light of truth, that gospel truth that shines on people, that draws us to faith in Christ. So you can almost think of Christ up on the cross as this massive bright light just shining. And that truth that he died for our sins and rose again is this light that shines. And as people hear that message, it draws them, those that God is drawing, it draws them to faith in what Christ has done. The glory of Christ up on the cross. Pretty cool. Okay, so that's letter A. The gospel is the first light towards salvation. That's the the light that shines from the cross that draws us to faith in Christ. And that's sort of what he's talking about. And those who reject the gospel reject that light. They reject Christ. Now let's go on to verse 6. For it is God who commanded, excuse me, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts. Okay, let's pause there. <laughs> so letter B is this, God shines the light in our hearts. And I don't know if you caught that. The Apostle Paul points out it's the same God who created light, who made light when it was complete darkness. He said, let there be light, and he made light. It's that same God who shines light in our hearts. But here the light is His glory, the glory of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. We can see what God is like in Jesus. So God shines that into our hearts. And that's, I think that's the moment of salvation. God breaking light into our dark hearts. Pretty cool to think about. The same God who spoke light into existence pierces our dark hearts with the truth of the gospel, and God enters the light in our darkness. Okay, so the rest of verse 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let us see. The light is the knowledge of God's glory seen in Jesus. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what shines into our hearts, a a vision of God to see His glory. We know what He's like. We see what He's like. Where do we see what He's like? In the face of Jesus Christ. So when it talks about the face of Jesus Christ, it's talking about who He is, right? Uh, his, his life, his reputation, what he did, what he's like. This is what we see when we see his face. It's a representation of a whole person, right? And so when we look at the face of Jesus, we see the glory of God. And it's the knowledge of that glory that is the very light that shines into our hearts. That glory enters our lives. Okay. 
Uh, so I got letter C. All right, let's look then finally at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So verse 7 opens, we have this treasure. What do you think the treasure is? Based on the context, look back at verse 6 when he says, we have this treasure. What do you think this treasure refers back to? Mary Lee? The Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a, that's a great idea. And I think you're right, but we don't see the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 6. So specifically, what, what, what does he mention in verse 6 that he might be referring back to? Yeah. The glory of God. The glory of God, right. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure that we have. Now, Mary Lee, you kind of gave away our surprise ending here. We're going to skip back to verse or chapter 3 and see that it is actually the presence of God's Spirit in us. So you're on the right track. But he doesn't actually say that here in verse 6. He just says the, the knowledge of the light of the glory of Christ uh, in, our, in our hearts. And so it is, uh, it is His glory. That's the treasure. And it's in earthen vessels, which means that our dustiness, our brokenness, lets His glory shine through. Why? So that it's clear it's not from me, right? What's this really bright, cool stuff coming from that broken piece of pottery? You know, like that's God in that person, his glory shining through. And so that's kind of that sense of being light. So conclusion is this, our weakness actually lets the light of God's glory shine through. That doesn't mean that we should like intentionally, you know, pursue weakness, you know, we're not trying to get sick or, or beat ourselves up or be persecuted or those kinds of things. That may happen. But this is actually really hopeful because when we are weak, when we are persecuted, when we are beat up and broken, we remember, wait a second, this is a sweet opportunity for the glory of Christ to shine through me, for people to see what's cool about me is not me, <laughs> but that God's glory is in me by His complete and utter grace. And uh, that's where the power of ministry is. And so we won't get into the rest of chapter 4, but that's what Paul does. He basically like exalts in his persecution. He's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're cast down, but not completely broken. We're persecuted, but not destroyed. We're not giving up. You know, he goes on and on and on. And finally, in verses 16 through 18, he talks about how they look to the eternal, what God is doing in them through his glory. So really cool. Okay, so two quick discussion questions uh, about this section we just looked at. So how do these truths about the glory of Christ in us, how does it shape the way we view evangelism? How does what we just studied about God's glory and light, how does that shape the way we view evangelism? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Glory isn't me, it's outside of me, in me, through me, into other people's lives. Yeah, good. Other thoughts? Yeah. This is probably more of a negative side, but the response of rejection is because it's hidden to them. Um, you know, they're blinded by it. So yes. We shouldn't be frustrated. We just share the gospel and let the gospel do. That's right. 
There will be those that reject it, that are blind to it. It's back to verse 4, right? Um, and we're in, a, in, in a little bit, we'll go to uh, John chapter 3, where the same principle is described. Right after Jesus talks with Nicodemus, John kind of breaks the conversation down for us. And he's like, well, men love darkness rather than light. So the light of the world came and men still rejected him because they loved the darkness, right? So there's this combination of love for our evil deeds as well as blindness to the truth. So there will be some that reject. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Michael. The idea of kind of like Moses where I'm terrible at speech, but in my weakness, he will Yeah. Because I oftentimes don't. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's not about our skill of words or being put together or whatever it is. Yeah, right. That Christ's glory can shine through our brokenness even. Yeah. Good. Good. Any other ideas? Yeah, Raleigh. Off the mic, so it's kind of a challenge to us in the do other people see the glory of God in us? Yeah, right. Are, is that noticeable? Yes. So we need to live our lives in a way that would draw them as well. You know, that's right. It's, it's God that's going to draw them. Yep, that's right. Are they, are they really seeing what God is like, what Christ is like when they look at my life and see through me, you know, that Lance is disappearing sort of in the process and they're seeing what Christ is like in me. That's a great, great line of thinking, Raleigh. Good. All right, let's continue on here. Um, now, we're going to stay here in 2 Corinthians, and I want to actually look briefly at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We took it out of order. Um, so the end of 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 7 through 18. I just want to point something super interesting out to you. So if you look up at verse 7, we have the, the previous ministry. This is the ministry of Moses and the Mosaic Covenant, the law. So listen to what he says. If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, meaning it revealed God's holiness, right? The law certainly did reveal God's holiness. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So pause and think about that with me for a moment. What happened to Moses' face when he was with God consulting over the law. Do you remember what happened to his face? It glowed, yeah. Yeah, and he actually wore a veil, I think, to hide the fact that it was actually fading. This is a different conversation. But he wore a veil because he had been with God and he had encountered God's glory, the glory written in the law, and his face shown. Now, Paul's drawing a comparison. He actually says, the ministry of the Spirit, Mary Lee, that's in us, how will it not be more glorious? Now, I know our faces don't actually glow, right? Not that I know of, but, but there's a sense in which when we spend time with the Lord, when, once, once the gospel has transformed our hearts, we start sort of glowing and in even a more glorious way than Moses did because we have God's Spirit in us. Now, he continues to describe that in verses 9 and following. And I, I want you to skip down to verses 16 and through 18 here. 
He says this, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, so there's, there's no like restriction of that glory. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's no veil restricting things. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we see God's glory, God's Spirit in us changes us. Now we often call this sanctification, this process of growth from glory to glory, stages of growth as God's glory changes us, right? Very similar to the way it made Moses' face glow, (laughs) but even better because there's no veil, there's no hindrance because we have God's Spirit in us. So I think you know, where, where, where do we first and foremost see God's glory? Well, my answer to that would be the Word, Scripture. And so when we open the Scripture, the Spirit uses that to transform us from glory to glory. He changes us through His Word as we reflect on Him as in a mirror. But we also see His glory in other Christians. Like, so when we gather on Sundays and we worship, and we show Christ to one another. That's transformative, and God's Spirit uses that. Have you ever come away from a Sunday gathering encouraged? There you go. So that's this happening, the Spirit of God in us, changing us from glory to glory. God's glory actually in us, reshaping us into His image. That's super cool. Okay, sorry. I get a little excited about these things. Number four, then, is this. I have God's Spirit as the presence of God's transforming glory. He's the light in me, changing me. The more I gaze on His glory and the more I see what He's like, the more the Spirit changes me into the image of Christ. It happens by light. It's like a plant that grows from sunlight. A similar concept. As we see the light of God's glory, as the Spirit works in us, we change, we grow. Kind of neat. That's an understatement. All right. Any questions on 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 that we have time to answer tonight? There may be some bigger ones that we can't answer tonight, but we're going to jump over to Ephesians here shortly. Any questions? Comments? Yeah, that's right. There is a comment like that, isn't there? I don't remember exactly what's said. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to follow up on. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, yeah, it's Acts six and seven, I think. So, or seven and eight. Anyway, it's right in there. So, check it out. Uh, I think his speech is maybe in seven. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway. Good, good connection, Raleigh. I like that. All right, so let's go to uh, number five here. Number five. As a light bearer, I walk in the light. Wow, big surprise, right? This is what he's called us to do. So here's now where we get into sort of how we live, having been called into his light. So let's go over to Ephesians and uh, to chapter five. 
And let's start in verse 8. I'll read 8 through 10 here. Uh, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So he begins in verse 8. We were once darkness, but now we are light. And here's an interesting one where he just calls us light. Uh, There's this incredible transition from darkness to light. And so he says, now walk as children of light. So we're to walk as children of light. Verse 9, some of your translations will say, um, for the fruit of the light is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Other translations will say, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There's a textual variant there. Some manuscripts have spirit, some manuscripts have light. Um, I think the original is probably light, just based on the context, but it's easy to understand why one of the copyists might have switched it to uh, spirit accidentally, because it sounds a whole lot like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? In fact, I think it is actually referring to the fruit of the Spirit, because who is the light in us, as Mary Lee pointed out? The Spirit, right? So there's really no big issue here. The light is the Spirit, and so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., or in here, goodness, righteousness, and truth, or in other words, what is acceptable to the Lord. So the Spirit helps us to live in a way that pleases God, right? He gives us guidance and help, even better than the law ever could. The Spirit helps us walk in the truth and walk in righteousness. And so that's kind of the point here of walking in the light. So your blank is this, letter A, I walk in the Spirit, Following the guidance of Scripture in the power of the Spirit, I can live in a way that's pleasing to God. That's what walking in the light is. Doing what's right. Living by His Spirit. But that's not where our passage ends. It's not just that. There's some things we shouldn't do. So he goes on to verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So this one is uh, sort of interesting here. Actually, let's go on. He says a little more about it. Verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So, uh, letter B, I expose evil deeds for what they truly are. Now, the object of the exposing is the unfruitful works of darkness. So, It's not our role to be going around pointing the finger at people and being like, she's a liar, he's a gossip. You know, like we're just these exposers of every sin or whatever. That's not at all Paul's point here. The point of, I hope I didn't point to anybody specifically. I was not pointing to Jay. It was was definitely to the left of Jay. So um, (laughs) anyway, that's not what he has in mind here. Think of light. Right? If you you walk into a dark room and you can't really see what's going on, you turn the light on, what's it do? It shows things as they really are. It just reveals the truth. Right? So it just shows what's actually there. That's why those who practice evil deeds love the darkness. It hides it. It's those things that are shameful that they do in secret, verse 12. 
And so the lights, you flip on the light switch and you see things as they are. You see the truth. And so what he's saying is when we walk in the light, it just shows the reality about what's good and what's evil. It exposes evil deeds. Now, again, it's not, the point is not that we're digging in people's lives and like exposing them as evil people or sinners or whatever. The point is that our walking in the light makes clear, it brings to light what is good and what is evil. It has this exposing power. It brings it into the light, exposing evil deeds for what they truly are. We show the world what God is truly like. And this brings to mind what we talked about in John chapter 3. What happened when Jesus, the light of the world, came? Right? He, he exposed the truth about ourselves, which was that we loved our evil deeds. And some people believed in the light and came to the light and showed that they were in the truth. And other people hated the light because they loved their evil deeds instead and they stayed in the dark. That's kind of the idea of the light. It shows things as they really are. And uh, it exposes them. So that's part of what happens when we stay away from evil deeds and we walk in the Spirit. Okay, and then he concludes in verse 14, which is really interesting. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is actually a really hopeful quotation. Because I think these verses are actually written about believers that are walking in the darkness. So the point is not that we're going to unbelievers and exposing their sinful deeds. Again, it's as we rub shoulders with believers and and we walk in the light, it makes obvious to them, oh, wait, I just saw their honesty. That makes really clear what I did was not honest. (laughs) I need to confess that and repent. And I think that's what verse 14 is. Awake you who sleep, who've been lulled into the dark again lulled into walking in the darkness, hiding evil deeds, and maybe even as, even as believers, blinding ourselves to sins in our lives. When we see the light of Christ in other people's lives, it wakes us up. And what's the hope? Christ will give you light. There's repentance. We come back to Him, and He shines in our life again. He brings to light the things that are wrong. So there's hope there. I, let her see. I return to Christ's light may have fallen asleep, walking in the darkness, but there's always hope to return to Christ. Okay, now, uh, letter D, I'm just going to give to you. I don't think we have time to go there right now. It is this, I fellowship with God and others in the light. And so this is um, a couple passages from 1 John. Uh, you're familiar with him. God is darkness and there's no... Who messed that up. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And uh, we fellowship with him as we walk in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So it's, it's talking about that fellowship with God and others as we walk in the light. So uh, sorry we don't have more time on that one. We'll keep moving. All right. So that's walking in the light. Kind of an overview here from Ephesians 5. Let's go then, finally, well, it will probably be finally, over to Philippians uh, chapter 2.
Okay, so um, the phrase we're kind of um, drawing from here is the end of verse 15, where he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So that's number six here. Oops, I put it up there, didn't I? No, I didn't. Here we go. I shine as a light in the darkness, as among whom you shine as lights in the world. But let's glean some context here. So starting in verses 12 to 13, what results in us shining as lights in the world? Verse 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So letter A, I yield in obedience to God. These two verses are, are such an encouragement to me because you see this beautiful tension between my responsibility to be obedient, to with respect and awe for God, to work out my salvation, to do what is right, and to commit to that. And there's, so there's this sense of obedience there. But at the same time, verse 13, it's God who works in me, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So there's God's power at work, completely dependent upon Him. And I, I love the tension of those two things at the same time. I am responsible. God is also the one doing the work. And uh, that's, it's really encouraging. So this, I, I call this yielding in obedience to God. What He works in my heart, I'm committed to doing. I will do it. Uh, this is how I s- submit to Him. And this is a great starting place for walking in the light, working out my salvation. As God works in me, uh, I will yield. I will obey. Then, verse 14. Oh boy, here he's getting too specific. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Paul... Did we have to go there? I mean, this was, obedience is one thing, but now I have to do with a good attitude? <laughs> yeah, so I think the all things, I mean, we, we apply this to all things as we should, but in the context, I think he's talking about this obedience to God, right? So as he leads me to do something and I yield to him, he's saying, now do those things with a good attitude without complaining and murmuring. Gulp. Right? How often do we find ourselves knowing what the Lord wants us to do and we do it, but inwardly and in our hearts, we're kind of going, oh, Lord, why are you making me do this? You know, like, I don't want to do this at all. This is not what I want to have happening in my life or doing this right now, you know. And so, oh, yeah. How does Paul know me so well? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so not to just obey, but then also do so with a good attitude. Obey with a good attitude. Just a brief question. Why is attitude so important to testimony? So remember, this is a context of being a light in the dark world. Why is attitude so important to testimony? Kate. Right. Yeah. A bad attitude is completely unattractive, isn't it? You're like, <laughs> what's wrong with that person? You know, and people see it. We think we hide it. Right. People see right through it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. All right. Let's keep going. Um, lost my place here. Oh, yeah. Letter C. Verse 15. 
So as we obey without complaining and so forth, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So as we just kind of sweetly obey the Lord, we're, we're blameless, we're innocent, right? And that's just where there's this distinct light that comes from people who live this way. Children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, shining as lights in the world. So, uh, letter C, I stand out in a dark context. As I yield to the Lord with a sweet spirit, it just stands out. Stands out. And we have help, verse 16, holding fast the word of life. Now, the word of life could be all of Scripture. It could refer specifically to the gospel, the message of life in Jesus Christ. Um, and so this is what we cling to. This is our power, our strength uh, as we go through life. So I hold fast to God's word. All right, I'm going to come back to a discussion question here. I want to briefly give you number seven. So I'm going to put it all up here on the screen. We don't have time to go there tonight. Uh, another really fun text about light and darkness, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. And it's actually looking forward to the end times, the day of the Lord, and that it will come as a thief in the night and this sense of darkness. But he says, then he gives encouragement in verse 5. He's like, don't worry. You're not of the night, you're of the day, you're sons of light. And so there's this uh, precious reminder that the day of the Lord comes in the darkness, and we're not of the darkness, we'll, we'll have been removed by that point, the day of the Lord being the tribulation. And so, yeah, it's just really encouraging. We have light as our future, and uh, we'll be with the Lord forevermore. Why will the tribulation be darkness? Because the Spirit is withdrawn from the earth. The light is removed, right? So it's darkness, and we'll, we'll go with him. <laughs> so, kind of cool. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. Sorry we didn't have time to get to it. Okay, so here's our... Oh, is it already done? Yep, it is. Okay, well, here's a thought question for you <laughs> as you go. So, numbers 5 and 6, we walk in the light, we shine as lights in the darkness. How does that impact the way we do church? And what should draw people to church? Okay. How does this sense of light, God's glory in us, and that shining from our lives, how does that impact the way we do church and what should draw people to church? All right, so there's your thought question. Uh, talk to somebody about it afterwards. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for entrusting your glory to us, that in us dwells your spirits, and we have the chance to shine as lights in the darkness. Thank you for allowing even weakness in our lives to be used for your glory, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.